It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before war came to Ukraine almost a year ago now, the little town of Solidar had little reason to make the news. Known only for the sprawling salt mines beneath it, the town itself was barely bigger than a village, with just 10,000 local residents, a little railway station, and a few roads lined with apartment blocks. Now, those roads are lined with rubble, and Solidar is making headlines around the world. The fight for the small salt mining town in eastern Ukraine has assumed an outsized significance. But a win in Solidar would give Vladimir Putin his first victory after months of humiliating losses. Last Friday, Russia claimed the fight for Solidar was over, and they'd won. But the Ukrainian military says the fighting is still ongoing. There are claims and counterclaims over whether Russia's military has scored its first significant battlefield victory in months. Its forces have been closing in on the eastern Donbass city of Solidar, and they now say they're in control. But it wasn't just the Russian and Ukrainian armies who disagreed on what exactly had happened in Solidar. In a series of posts, Evgeny Prigozhin, a man better known as Putin's chef, made it clear that any victory in Solidar was really his. Russian oligarchy Evgeny Prigozhin releasing this picture, claiming he was in the salt mines under the city and that his private army had taken control. So who is Yevgeny Prigozhin? And can his private army of mercenaries, the Wagner Group, change the course of the war in Ukraine? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how the Wagner Group became the Russian vanguard. Imagine Bakhmut and the surrounding areas is without doubt the most dangerous place in Europe right now, possibly the entire world. 
When you were there, there's a constant shelling, both the incoming and outcoming. You can see smoke rising from Russian missiles within like 500, 600 meters. Sometimes you can smell burning explosives after blasts. For years before the war, Mark Bennett was the Times Moscow correspondent. But lately, he's been reporting from the front line in Ukraine. He's just returned from Bakhmut, a town a few miles away from Solidar, where every day is punctuated by the constant sound of shelling. There's barely a building that hasn't been damaged. There's probably not an unshattered window in the entire town. It's probably, I would imagine, what cities during World War II looked like on the Eastern Front. For example, Stalingrad. It's just a scene of utter devastation. I mean, even getting there is, is difficult because there's a, a one-and-a-half-mile stretch of road, which potentially you're a target for Russian missiles as you drive down, and um, there has been shelling in that area. So you have to drive really fast across that part of the road. Once you get further into town, you're at the same same level of risk as everyone else. You never know where, where a missile or where a rocket's going to come from. I mean, it sounds horrifying. How long were you there? Because I, I imagine it's an incredibly difficult place to be in for long. We drove in very quickly, um, and then there's nowhere to stay at all, obviously. The city's not functioning, there's no electricity, there's no water, there's no gas, there's no heating. There are a few street stores with very extremely brave people who are selling food to soldiers and other residents. But we spent five or six hours there. That's basically the most you can stay there, because I mean, it gets dark very early now, and Bakhmut is not a place you want to be driving around at night. So we left early in the morning after getting advice from a soldier on the safest way in. And spent the day wandering around, talking to people, talking to the remaining residents. Before the war, this town had a population of around 70,000, and that is around 7,000 left, mainly the elderly, the very poor, the very stubborn, or just those who, for whatever reason, don't want to leave. sense of why Bakhmut, why this particular little city has become such a centre for the war at the moment? Well, it's been a puzzle for a while, actually. Western military analysts have been confused as to why Russia is pouring so many troops into it. And no one knows exactly how many, how many Russian soldiers, fighters have died in Bakhmut, but it seems far out of proportion to any strategic value it may have. There are salt mines there, which some people say could be used to store weapons, but it's not important enough. Not far from Bakhmut is the little town of Solidar, where Russia's been focusing its efforts. It's about six, five miles from Bakhmut, and underneath the whole area, there's a massive complex of caves and salt mines, which in more peaceful times have been used to stage things such as football matches, classical music concerts. There was even actually a winery under Solidar and climate-controlled caves, which had been producing wine until December of 2021, two months before the war started. This whole entire area, there's been fighting going on there since 2014. This is kind of a hotspot of the entire war, obviously not on the same scale as we're seeing now. But this winery was continuing to produce alcohol for this entire period. Obviously, now it's closed. That's amazing. But also, you get a sense that these mines then are quite complex. They're quite well-developed. 
And locals will tell me that they've been used to store weapons quite a long time. When the Russian separatists came in in 2014, there's a story going around. I don't know how true it is. They sent a squad of fighters to take over the mines and the, the caverns. And there was an old woman there, an old granny. And they arrived with all their weapons. And she just basically told them to piss off. And they did. And so they never got control of that. I don't know how true that is, but that's the story everyone tells, which obviously I don't think she's capable of defending it right now. On Friday, Russia claimed victory in Solidar. Russia says its forces have taken full control of the salt mining town of Solidar in eastern Ukraine. The claims by the defence ministry can't be immediately verified. It's still not going to have any massive kind of strategic importance, but it will allow the Kremlin to boast that its army has made progress after a series of kind of humiliating setbacks. If Russia could you know, have cut off the Ukrainian supply line to Bakhmut and that Russia had moved forward to Prematorsk and surrounding towns. But again, it's not a major victory for Russia. Some people think that Russia is just determined to take it now because it needs some kind of victory to show to the people and it will just be used for propaganda purposes, which sounds about right. Taking Solidar, even though it's like a tiny town that not many people even heard of before, it's kind of like something for Russia to show to its people, like we're making some progress here. Then when we say Russia, that's kind of slightly misleading because it seems that the vast majority of the fighting here isn't being carried out by the regular Russian army, it's been carried out by the Wagner Group. <laughs> Wagner mercenaries fly the corporate flag from a window in the town of Solidar. The building's cleared, they say. Congratulations on the victory. The Wagner Group, which is a private paramilitary company headed by a very unpleasant man called um, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who's a former Soviet convict and catering tycoon who's close to Putin. Prigozhin first claimed that his private army had taken Solidar last Tuesday when he released this message. Wagner units have taken control of the entire territory of Solidar. A cauldron has been formed in the centre of the city in which urban fighting is going on. We will report the number of prisoners tomorrow. Well, Mark, we've talked a bit about um, the Wagner Group on, on the podcast before, but remind us a little bit about it and just tell us a bit more about Evgeny Prigozhin, the man at the, who's at the head of it, because up until recently, he never really admitted being in charge. Suddenly, he's very prominently, very publicly making it known that he's in charge of this group. What do we actually know about him? Prigozhin, when he was around 1920, was jailed by a Soviet court. He and his accomplices assaulted a woman on the street, strangled her. He didn't kill her, but he grabbed her by the neck and started to strangle her. Whilst his accomplices pulled off her boots and stole her golden earrings. And he was also convicted of a series of other kind of robberies, as well as plying an underage minor with alcohol and getting him to join in his various kind of robbery schemes. So he was jailed and was in prison for nine years and was let out in 1990, just before the collapse of the Soviet Union. And then it's kind of a bit shady. He went into business. At that time, to get into business, you 
You had to have had contacts with, with the mafia in Russia, with criminals. And then he ended up as the owner of one of the poshest, most prestigious restaurants in St. Petersburg called New Island, which is um, where Putin took George Bush to, and Putin celebrated his birthday then. But people say that Putin thought that Prigozhin was funny, which tells you a lot about Putin, I think. Well, there is that, given his past in, in jail. How are we still talking about him years later? From How does he go from restaurant man to such a big figure in Russian life? It's all very murky, but it seems this is what happened. It seems that he got to know Putin, got contacts in the Kremlin after Putin liked his restaurant. And then around 2014, even perhaps a little bit earlier, he was handed catering contracts in Moscow to supply dinners to children around schools and nurseries in Moscow, as well as for the Russian Defense Ministry. And then it seems, so this hasn't been proven, but it's um, well, a Russian investigative website. He was given the Cajun contracts on the condition that he also form a private paramilitary group, which the Kremlin could use for plausible deniability and also to kind of keep down the official casualty count in places like Syria, Eastern Ukraine. And it's thought that Prigozhin was initially just interested in the catering contracts because they were quite lucrative and he didn't really want all the bother of forming like a mercenary group. Why, when you could be a caterer? Well, yeah, yeah. But his kind of appetite for mercenary um, warfare improved with time. And uh, he'd always denied it until the start of the war when he just came out and said, yeah, I've always been the head of Wagner. And then he opened this Wagner office centre in St. Petersburg. For so long now, a lot of the reporting around Wagner has tended to describe it as this shadowy private military company. Not so shadowy anymore with this huge, shiny new headquarters here in St. Petersburg, literally called PMC Wagner Center. And now, like, politicians talk about it openly. He's the head of Wagner, a local governor in southern Russia, went on a Wagner training course recently. So from being this person who just denied passionately that he had anything to do with Wagner. He just switched off night and said, yeah, of course I was in control. So he goes from being a caterer, from running a restaurant, being a caterer, getting big contracts, earning himself the title of Putin's chef, to suddenly running this private military company. Yeah. How has the image of Wagner in Russia, how has that changed? It just switched overnight. Before, if people that's the official line was that it's propaganda that yeah that maybe there's some mercenaries but we don't know anything we don't don't know anything about that and they're kind of like heroes fighting the west and obviously Prigozhin's profile has risen quite a lot making him some kind of very it seems some very powerful enemies within the um, Russian security forces and just explain a bit of that transition to us so just uh, paint a picture of what Wagner was doing say two years ago when it was mm-hmm. slightly more in the shadows versus what it's doing now. In the past, Wagner was basically recruiting mercenaries and then sending them to fight in Syria. U.S. military officials tell NBC News the Russian mercenaries were from the Wagner Group, a shadowy security firm linked to Yevgeny Prigozhin, a powerful oligarch known as Putin's chef. Sending the fight in eastern Ukraine, again, to allow the Kremlin to deny that it's had anything to do with conflicts or that it was involved in conflicts. Now, He's not just recruiting mercenaries, it's Prigozhin. He's actually personally started going to Russian prison camps, offering the inmates there their freedom and amnesty in exchange for six months at the front. Yevgeny Prigozhin, the leader of the Russian mercenary group Wagner. Filmed here in a Russian prison, recruiting convicts to fight on the front line in Solidar and Bakhmut. It seems that at least 30,000 people have taken him up on the offer. Wow. 
which raises a number of interesting questions as well, because Russian law doesn't allow prisoners to be amnestied in exchange for military service. In this video, Prigozhin congratulates the first batch of returning fighters. You finished your contract with honor, he said. Don't drink, don't use drugs or rape women. So it's unclear how he's doing this. It's also unclear if they actually have been amnestied as well. And there's also obviously the moral issue as well. I mean, some of the people who have been amnestied. One guy who Prigozhin said had done his six months and was now free, basically. He was sentenced to 14 years in prison for battering his grandmother to death. Another guy killed his own mother. When they die, their local press and everything says, what, they died to defend our country? They're heroes. Don't mention their like, extremely violent past. It's also not clear if they actually are being freed or not. The Kremlin said the other day that no one has the power to amnesty prisoners apart from the president, which is true. But these guys are still joining up and Prigozhin is saying they're free. The whole thing just is, is just a perfect illustration of an utter like lawlessness under Putin because why are these guys being released from prison? You know, like who's Prigozhin? Prigozhin holds no official post in Russia at all. Because, Mark, I think that's what you're listening. I think a lot of people will wonder, you know, if this is a private military company, it's not officially the Russian army, how do, is this man allowed to go into prisons and take prisoners out if he's not part of the government? And at this stage, given they are so public and not on TV and they're clearly, you know, at the forefront of the fighting in Ukraine, are they now part of the army? Or is he still completely in control? Is this still his own private military? Yeah, I mean, it seems very much to be his own private military. By some estimates, there are up to 50,000 Wagner mercenaries fighting in Ukraine. According to Western officials, they make up a staggering 25% of total Russian combatants, an army within an army. The White House intelligence is that the Prigozhin actually gives orders to Russian military officials now, which again is incredible. And he's a civilian and he's giving orders to the military. The man with no position in government. Yeah, other analysts have said that he has as much access to Putin as the defence minister, um, Sergei Shaigu, and the foreign minister, um, Sergei Lavrov, which also obviously has led to kind of speculation that Prigozhin might have his own kind of political ambitions like after Putin. I mean, the general thinking is that he's not wouldn't make a move against Putin, but when Putin's rule ends, that Prigozhin would try to come to power or could try to come to power and would have a very would have a, a decent chance of doing so. That's so interesting. It's a head's terrifying. If you think Putin's bad, Prigozhin's is a lot worse. I mean in many ways kind of Prigozhin's the ultimate malevolent personification of Putin's rule. He's just this violent thug with apparently no morals at all who has managed to rise to power despite not formally holding any position and just completely ignoring the law. Prigozhin, positioning himself as both a saviour of the war for Moscow and the critic-in-chief of Russia's military establishment. Prigozhin wants to be seen as very powerful, whether or not he actually is really in a position to challenge Putin at some point. I think we'll only find out maybe after the war or if the war starts to go very badly for Russia or alternatively if the war starts to go very well for Russia, but because of Wagner and because of Prigozhin. I mean, tell us about that. Is one of the reasons he's suddenly so powerful and suddenly so public, is it because Wagner seems to be doing so much of the fighting on the ground? Is, is this a story of failure in terms of the Russian army as much as Wagner's success? Yeah, I mean, Prigozhin has been very um, critical of the Russian defence ministry. And it's, it's thought that up to 20, 25% of the Russians fighting in Ukraine now are actually Wagner mercenaries. 
which if true, and I can't see why it wouldn't be true, that if the 35,000 prisoners released to the front is accurate, that's like one-fourth of the Russian army is Wagner. Coming up, back in Moscow, Putin has been reshuffling the generals in charge of the war. But will it make a difference? That's after a quick message from a colleague. I'm Louise Callahan, a foreign correspondent for The Sunday Times. I work from the front lines of international politics and war, bringing you stories from the Black Sea to the Persian Gulf. We can only do this thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. It's not just the military failures we've seen on the battlefield with some of the Russian army, but there does seem to be just a picture of chaos in Moscow at the moment, too. Tell us a bit about this, because in in the last week, we've suddenly seen yet another changing of the guard. Out front tonight, Putin's mysterious shakeup. The Russian president suddenly putting in a new general to oversee his war in Ukraine. And after just three months in charge of the Russian forces in Ukraine, General Arbogelin has been sacked. Uh, Putin's replaced him with the chief of general staff. Well, General Sidovikin, who was known as General Armageddon. Great title. Basically because he seems to enjoy bombing everything. Uh, he was involved in the bombing of Syria, Aleppo. The Kremlin hired him, <laughs> basically to do the same thing to Ukraine's um, energy infrastructure. And now he's been replaced by um, General Gerasimov, who's another kind of hardliner. But there's lots of debate about why Putin did this, because Prigozhin and Ramzan Kadyrov, the Chechen leader, the hardline Chechen leader, they were very much in favour of the appointment of General Armageddon. And some people think that by appointing Karizmov, it's kind of like Putin kind of showing his support for Shaigu, the defence minister, and trying slightly maybe to put Prigozhin in his place. But other analysts think that it's just Putin moving the pieces around the chessboard. Ukrainian Ministry of Defence responded to the appointment with a tweet which read... Every Russian general must receive at least one opportunity to fail in Ukraine. 
That's so interesting because it is it is a very sudden move. It's, it's only about three months since the last big change, so not really long enough to, to prove yourself in that role. Well, yeah, I mean, the general Armageddon <laughs> appointment was seen by some people that he was just to be the face of the Russian defeat, which was very humiliating for Russia and the Russian army. So there's a theory that he was put there. And he was the first general who was shown on television as well. Kremlin had kind of ordered state media not to show any generals on television, kind of thinking that they might become too popular, it's like the threat and Putin popularity. If the war went well, he was promoted basically to oversee the retreat from Kherson. And so I think that maybe Moscow's thinking was that he would be associated with failure. And now they're pushing forward again in eastern Ukraine anyway. There's no real need for him anymore. And in the meantime, in Ukraine, you know, from the sort of the people you met, what what is morale like? I spoke to one woman, she said she didn't care who controlled the town anymore. She just wanted the water stuff, which is entirely understandable when you when missiles have been falling on your town for five months. She was kind of an exception. I mean, a few other people said similar things in, in Bakhmut. But generally, over, across the entire country, the vast majority of people I've spoken to, they're very determined that they will push the Russians out, even from Crimea, which the Kremlin annexed in 2014. They're all determined to of push on with the war as a kind of battle for Ukraine's right to exist as an independent state. Now, having just come back from Ukraine, what would you see happening in the next few months? How do you see the war playing out? I think we'll maybe see Russia making kind of some small gains in eastern Ukraine, and then Ukraine continuing to push further south and try to advance towards Crimea or at least into a position where as if they can threaten the Russian forces. And then, of course, always kind of like lurking at the background is the Russian nuclear threat, which no one really knows. I mean, it's the, the feeling seems to be now that the West is very confident about calling Putin's bluff by supplying Ukraine with Western weapons, with tanks, etc. But ultimately, we don't really know what's going on in Putin's head, how much of a threat he's going to see that and how he's going to respond, especially if, as some people say, he's dying. Are you hearing more of those rumours at the moment? No, no one knows for sure if he's dying, but I mean, Budanov, the head of Ukrainian military intelligence, told ABC last week that his spies know for sure that Putin has cancer and is dying. Is Putin terminally ill? Of course. He is? Yeah. When... He's still a long period, very long. When do you think he's going to die? I think very fast. Soon. I hope. <laughs> you hope. But again, do we believe that? And in the meantime, we've had President Zelensky mocking Russia's claims that they've taken Solidar. Are the Ukrainians still very confident that they can beat both the Russian army and also Wagner, which is, as you say, has grown so much in the last few months, can you know beat them out of the country? 
Yeah, I mean, all the soldiers I've spoken to have all been extremely confident and meant to stay at the front line for as long as it takes, basically. I mean, one soldier I spoke to in Bakhmut was like, I'll be here until the end. What else can I do? Of course, everyone wants to go home. All the soldiers have families. Lots of these soldiers, lots of these people fighting for Ukraine right now didn't have any military experience, but they see it it as as a struggle for Ukraine's future and their own kind of personal futures. No one wants to be a part of Russia. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times foreign correspondent, Mark Bennett. You can find all of Mark's reporting from Ukraine at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producers today were Edward Drummond and Sam Chantarasak. The executive producers were Kate Ford and James Shield. And sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.